0: For our scripture lesson this morning, we return to the Gospel of Matthew, one of four Gospels in our New Testament. And specifically this morning, we're returning to the part of Matthew where Jesus preaches his famous Sermon on the Mount. Today, he's going to address worry, an apt and prophetic, if not uncomfortable message for 2020. Hear now a proclamation of the word from Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25 and moving all the way through verse 34. Therefore, I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds in the sky. They don't sow seed or harvest grain or gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than they are? Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? Notice how the lilies in the field grow. They don't wear themselves out with work and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon in all of his splendor wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow it's thrown into the furnace, won't God do much more for you, (sighs) you people of weak faith? Therefore, don't worry and say, what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things, they'll be given to you as well. Therefore, stop worrying about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Beloved, will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we are grateful and delight that we can come before your presence this morning and once again hear your word proclaimed. I pray that you would help us to remain open to the word that you would speak. Leave our hearts and our ears open to the truth that you would have us hear. I pray that you would move me out of the way, God. There is no room for my pride today. Instead, I pray that you would speak clearly and your spirit would move fully so that we may be edified, so that you may be glorified. All these things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. All right, beloved, are you ready? Today, we're going to spend some time talking about worry. Now I know what you're thinking, it's 2020. I'm a professional worrier at this point. I am intimately aware of what it means to worry and how we go about dealing with worry in our lives. Well, because we're all so professional at experiencing it, in fact, I think it's vitally important that today we spend some time unpacking it because it is so vital to our spiritual, our emotional, our mental, our physical health, that we talk about ways that we deal with worry and address what it means to hand that over to God. And I love that Jesus addresses it fully and very specifically here in the Sermon on the Mount. Where we find him in today's passage, he is clicking along. We're right in the heart of this sermon. And uh, so far he's offered an incredible word and a challenging word on what it means to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So far in this specific section, he's spoken a word to the people about what it means to practice their faith in humility, to practice prayer, to practice fasting, not in a way that other people will be impressed with, but in a way that truly humbles us before God, that God can truly minister to us and heal us. He also then talks about what it means to protect both our minds and our bodies from corruption, specifically about what it means to protect ourselves and what we consume. Now, he's not talking about food. He's talking specifically about sight, about the things that we look upon that may compromise our ability to, to love and to live fully. He wants us to engage the world, to see the pains of the world around us but to refrain from looking upon those things that would corrupt us, mind and body. It's a challenge. And then we move to this sizable teaching on the nature of worry. Summarizing his point specifically, he says, don't do it. I don't know about you, But I always hear people say that. Just don't worry. Just let go and let God. I don't know about you, but I could use some more simplistic and direct instruction as to how to do that. How do I possibly take my worry and just let it go? Let it go and let God have it. Well, let's see if we can dig in a little bit this morning. What I want you to do right now is make a list an actual list. I want you to grab a piece of paper and something to write with, or maybe even in the margins of your Bible, wherever you can write notes, I want you to write down a list of the things that worry you today. I'll wait, go ahead, take your time. What are those things weighing on your mind, on your heart, on your finances? What worries you today? If you haven't already, make sure the virus is on your list. Uh, though I'm sure it is. Oh, and make sure you're listing the, the presidential election and the transfer of power. Oh, and the Georgia Senate race, of course, that's coming up. Uh, I, I, maybe you have on your list what effect the kids' schooling is having on their academic growth this year and their social lives. Oh, whether or not you're going to gather with family this week or not, I don't know about you. Have you made your decisions yet? Oh, and with all the holidays coming up, I find myself thinking about whether or not we have enough. Do we have enough food? Do we have enough presents? Do we have enough time? Do we have enough money and safety and warmth and therapy and medicine and job security? Ah, okay, I'm starting to stress myself out. Why this activity? Why did I ask us to do this? Uh, Okay, Jesus said, don't worry, don't worry, just let it go. We got to do what Jesus says, right? Right? Jesus himself seizes upon two specific examples of the things we're not supposed to worry about. I want you to grab your list and, and compare it to Jesus's. When he looks upon the world, what kind of worries does he think are most important? What are his top two? And here's the two that he names. He tells the people, do not worry about what you will wear. And the second, do not worry about what you will eat or drink. What you will wear, what you will eat. Were either of those on your list? Anywhere near the top five? I'm curious why Jesus would focus in on these two examples. Of all the things to be worried about, why these two lifted above all others? As Jesus looked upon the crowd to which he was speaking, I can only imagine the list going through his mind. Israel itself, the group of Israelites he was talking to, were under slave rule within the Roman Empire. Certainly, the the political divides and the political pressures were felt locally as well as globally, yeah? And there were plenty of people seeking Jesus out during that day and time for healing miracles. People coming to him to heal them of their physical ailments. And yet somehow, political divide and disease didn't make his list of examples in this part of the sermon. I can't say for certain why. But I wonder, as Jesus looks upon the crowd, is he somehow able to see past their present stressors to more underlying concerns? It's as if he stopped talking to the crowd altogether and somehow his words are stretching further, farther back. I imagine almost that he has flipped the page back and is now addressing the audience in the very beginning of Genesis. It's as if he's talking right to the first humans, to Adam and Eve. Adam means one of the earth. If you recall their story, the first humans lived in perfection. They were truly without need. The environment and creation around them provided for every single physical need that they had. They had in fact been created for each other to satisfy every relational need that they had. And they lived in perfect relationship with the God of their creation. They walked and spoke to one another face to face. Everything surrounding those first people was perfection. And yet, and yet... We sense trouble when they identify a need unmet, when they seize upon a food, the one food not given to them becomes the one food that they desire and of which they partake. And when they satisfy their own need with something not given to them, the perfection ends. Everything breaks, all those perfect relationships, every need provided, suddenly all of that becomes damaged. And the first thing that happens once they awaken to their own brokenness, once sin takes hold, do you remember the first thing that they realize? They realize that they're naked. This has never bothered them before. It's never been a problem. And suddenly they're filled with shame to the point where their first concern is finding clothing in order to cover themselves. And their vulnerability. What will we eat? is what they asked. And what will we wear? becomes the first question of the new broken world. What will I wear? It's a sufficient question for this season, I suppose. What will keep me warm? What will keep us comfortable? What will keep us covered? Will it fit? How does it feel? How does it make us feel about ourselves? Will it accentuate the things that I want other people to see? And will it hide the things that I want to remain hidden? The dressings of our bodies become the trappings of our insecurities. Our feelings are vulnerable and exposed. Therefore, we need to find a way to cover them over. What will I eat? Today, it is a concern over literal starvation in some corners of our communities and of the global world. Will I have enough to sustain me? Will I provide enough for those who depend upon me? This is a true concern. This week is Thanksgiving, the holiday at which food becomes the centerpiece of family gatherings. But this year, there's a whole new layer of worry. Should we travel or no? Which concern for granny is more pressing that will make her sick or that will leave her lonely? While some are starved for food, others are starved for connection and community. What will fill me up, worry asks, without really acknowledging why we are feeling empty in the first place. Clothes, food, a house in order, kids having what they need, neighbors who will make decisions for my safety, but trying to balance my desire for autonomy with my call to feeling empathy. These are the things that we worry about. They are where our worry leaks out, and what we're, but what we're really concerned about is what covers our bodies and what fills our bellies. But the truth down deep is that secretly, truly, we are afraid. We are afraid. But don't worry, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Scripture repeats, tell me how I cry out. Now, While I am nowhere near perfect in following the steps of letting go of worry... I do want to offer three for us this morning that I'd love us to experiment with, to see if this might help us find a way to truly let go of the worry and of the fear that haunts us. The first, learning how to notice the signs. What are the signs that worry has taken hold? That we're starting to believe the lies that somehow we are in danger. Perhaps you experience physical aches. You feel it in your body. Your body knows before your mind ever does. Perhaps you're experiencing muscle aches or lethargy or fatigue. These are the signs of stress. Perhaps yours are more behavioral. I don't know about you, but I've become a professional procrastinator. That's one of the main ways that I know that I'm stressed out is when I just find myself procrastinating or downright avoiding the things that are causing me tension Maybe perhaps, though, you even turn aggressive in that. I know that I have a tendency to do that sometimes. I get really defensive over my procrastination behaviors. Perhaps unproductive thinking is also a sign. What is that, you ask? Well, imagine that you start feeling stressed You'll know that you start feeling stressed because suddenly your mind is racing. You're imagining all the worst case scenarios, playing out all the what ifs and building a ton of different contingency plans for how you will deal with all manner of things that could go wrong, all manner of ways that things could go off the rails. It's unproductive thinking. It is thinking that exhausts you and it's thinking and fixating on plans and scenarios and what ifs that will never come to pass. Most of those things will never happen. They're plans that you'll never have to activate on, but we're exhausting ourselves by spending so much mental energy entertaining them and planning them out. Unproductive thinking. And then, of course, we have our hoarding tendencies. If you've been to the grocery store lately or gone on to shop online, you'll notice that once again toilet paper is becoming scarce. That's just one example of a hoarding tendency, that people become so fixated on what they need that they begin gathering and collecting more than they need in order to feel safe. This this comes as well in the overconsumption of information. It's not just physical goods, but of data and knowledge and other people's opinions Doom scrolling is another phrase that 2020 has given us. It's where we just scroll through, reading and consuming all the different headlines and the comments sections. It's a tendency we have to try to help us feel safe, even though it simply adds to our stress. And then we have those who actually exhibit restrictive behaviors. They become even more restrictive with their own behaviors or with the behaviors and movements of others. It's kind of a hoarding of time and of space. These are all signs that we are experiencing worry and stress. Once we can see them for what they are, then we can begin to name them. Because these behaviors, these patterns of thinking, these emotions, they're not who we are. They are the work of fear in our lives. And if we have the courage to follow step number two, once we've read the signs, if we can then name the fear for what it is, then we don't have to fear the unknown anymore. Naming a thing, claiming a thing, allows us to speak the truth of what it is. And we can find that when we name fear for what it is, perhaps it might start growling as loudly. Can you name your fear? We know fear is as a, as a survival strategy. But what fear does is turn us inward. We become self-reliant and self-defensive and self-sufficient. And all of that selfness drives us away from trust and dependence upon the provisions of God. Fear challenges our faith. And that is not what God desires for us. God desires us to be faithful and to depend on the faithfulness of God. So what is the solution? If we find ourselves grasping at all of these things, if we find ourselves trying to fight back against fear all by ourselves, if we find ourselves living this white knuckled, clenched fist life, then what is the solution? It is to trust God. But how? I need more. If we are going to stop living this white knuckled life, if we are going to stop living this clenched fist life, if we are going to truly let go and let God, then the simplest way to do that is to unclench our fists, to open up our hands and to extend what we've been holding on to, to someone else. The letting go and letting God is as simple and as difficult as practicing generosity towards other people. During 2020, I have learned a lot about the signs of my stress reactions. I've noticed that food has become a true trigger point for me. This is something I didn't know about myself before. The minute the pandemic came home, school was canceled, this all became real to us, I noticed that buying food somehow made me feel safe, that seeing food stocked in my pantry helped me feel safe, that certainly eating food helped me feel a sense of false control over a world in which I felt completely out of control. I was relieved when the church decided to host a food drive The church where I worship with, this church uh, where my husband is the pastor, decided to host a food drive a few weeks ago for in-town collaborative ministries. The weekend it happened was actually the weekend of the massive power outage. So the urgency of families in our community needing food, not just because school has gone digital and there are no free and reduced lunches provided for students and families, but also because of the power outage, so many of our neighbors lost all of their perishable food items the urgency for a food drive became even more important. And I was thrilled. I welcomed the chance to get to engage in mission and serve my neighbor and rally our neighborhood to provide food for those among us who needed it most we was getting the kids ready and we're getting all dressed and we're about to head out the door to go collect all the food donations we'd rallied around the neighborhood. And I just so happened to walk past the pantry in our home and saw my husband standing in our pantry with a, gar- with a, a Kroger sack open, loading canned items into the bag. It had not occurred to me until that moment, and I'm being fully transparent, it had not occurred to me until that moment that we needed to give too. And as I watched my husband load our food into bags to give away to other people, I suddenly had a very unexpected stress reaction. Suddenly I became very defensive over our pantry. And it wasn't until I saw the look on my husband's face, first of confusion and then of disappointment, that I was able to read the signs clearly. Fear was causing behaviors in me that I did not want. I took a moment to name the fear for what it was. I took a breath and then I realized that if I saw the signs and if I was able to name the fear, the next move I had to make was to let it go to God. So I asked my husband for the bag, which he handed me and then back slowly out of the pantry. And I practiced unclenching my hands by wrapping my hand around a can of marinara sauce and putting it into the bag. I then reached up again and grabbed a can of black beans and put that into the bag. And I kept putting into the bag until that fear began to abate. And suddenly it was replaced by the peace of Christ. The peace that passeth understanding is the way our scripture puts it. Or in one translation, the peace that don't make no full sense. I wanted that peace. And I want that peace for you. The way that we combat the vice of fear and of faithlessness and of greed is by practicing the virtue of generosity, of extending our hands and sharing what we have and blessing others with the very things that we were protecting for ourselves. This is how we truly let go and let God. This is how we experience true hope. In the next few weeks, you as part of the Atlanta First United Methodist community and congregation are gonna get to create some opportunities to practice amazing generosity to your neighbors. What a way to combat worry and fear in a time where it's most needed by our neighbors. For example, you'll get to participate in Keep Atlanta Warm again, the winter clothing drive in which you can contribute new and gently used items to help those of our neighbors who could use some assistance combating winter weather. Second, you'll get to contribute to Fulton County Aging Services. This is an opportunity for you to lend your gifts as a way to bless and care for the needs of aging older adults and seniors in our community who we know are very affected right now. Finally, you'll get the chance to contribute to uh, the work and ministry here at Atlanta First United Methodist Church. Each one of you will receive, who are on the mailing list, will receive an acknowledgement, a thankful acknowledgement of your financial contributions to this church during 2020. And thank you for that faithfulness. Within that same mailer, you'll also find information and, and how you can continue contributing before the end of the year to strengthen us all the way through the new year. And finally, there'll be some key information for you to prayerfully consider what kind of generosity you'd wish to participate in and to practice in furthering the mission of Atlanta First United Methodist Church and Christ in your own life and in the lives of your neighbors going into 2021. That's right, friends. We've almost made it. We've almost made it to the turning of the calendar. But my prayer is that we will let tomorrow worry about tomorrow's stressors. That today, in fact, we can focus on beginning anew and finding new ways to release and let go of that worry so that God can speak peace into our lives. That we can practice amazing generosity beginning today. So it's fitting that today is also Christ the King Sunday. In our tradition, that means that we're proclaiming two things. We're proclaiming one, that Christ is king, that Christ claims the victory, that in his death, Christ took on the sin of the world and in resurrection, restored all of creation into relationship with God. This is great news. Christ rules and Christ reigns. Christ is king. But this is also the epitome of our story. So this in essence is the Christian new year. Today we get to begin again with a story of the hope of the world coming to us in the gift of the infant child, the promise of the generations fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We get the gift of the story again. The story that continues to give from a God who continues to give, who is our model of generosity of love. Ours is a God who loves so generously, who creates so generously, who forgives so generously, and who breathes the breath of life anew every day. Our God is never further away than your next breath. So my friends, I pray that today God will restore your faith, will restore your faith and hope and restore you in the love of Jesus Christ. Today, may we all learn to unclench our fists and to give generously so that to us, God may grant generously the gift of hope. Happy Thanksgiving.